What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bomb. I am your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and boy, do we have a treat tonight on today's show. We have David Saxby is on, and he has one of the most famous privately owned aquariums in the world. He lives in Hyde Park in London, so it's getting late over there, David, but I'm really, really psyched to have you on this uh, live stream. Welcome, David. Well, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure to come on the stream, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to any questions that anybody is, wishes to ask, and I'll do my very best to answer. So um, I, I feel not only honored to have you on, David, but this is actually your first ever live stream. So this is uh, this is going to be neat. It's going to be a rare opportunity, folks, to ask uh, David some questions in the in the chat section. But let me just give a little background for those of you that don't know David. And I'm sure there's not a lot of folks that do not know you, David. But David is the managing director of D&D, the Aquarium Solution LTD, which is one of the most well-known and respected suppliers of specialist equipment in the industry for use in saltwater and freshwater aquariums. David initially for, uh, formed D&D in 2001, and he wanted to bring his own personal experience of which products work for him to the mass market and to really dispel those myths and witchcraft, these are your uh, words, I believe, David, that abound within the hobby. <laughs> David is known throughout the world as being at the forefront of modern reef keeping and his 3,000 gallon, right, um, home aquarium system has appeared on television and in many books and now on this live stream. And we're gonna do a deep dive on, on his tank in terms of the build, the equipment that he used and, and how he uh, tends to his tank. We have, um, we have a couple of things, we have a video, clip we're going to show and we also have a, um, a presentation that we're going to go through loosely with that but before we start chatting with David I want to take uh, care of some business and thank the show's sponsor Marine Depot yes uh, I know Marine Depot was just bought by Bulk Reef Supply but um, they're going to be sponsoring the next couple of shows take advantage of their liquidation sale I have so it's uh, some great stuff you get some great deals but I you know I really want to thank Marine Depot for being a supporter in the past of the show and I just wish all the folks over there the uh, the best of luck, and um, I, um, I I know it's going to be a, a great um, you know new uh, shopping experience for folks with bulk reef supply. But anyway, I just want to say thanks to Marine Depot for for taking a um, you know flyer on the show here and and being a supporter. And I also want to thank you folks out there for for tuning in and watching. And please uh, hit that like button to try to bring more people into this live stream. And now that we've taken care of some uh, business with um, all the sponsors and what have you, um, and, and again, I want to encourage the viewers to ask questions in the chat. We're going to go through a lot of material here, but I will do my best to to monitor the uh, the chat in the live stream. So, so David, let's uh, let's just start off with a couple of general questions about your uh, your background. How long have you been keeping reef tanks? Uh, I I've been keeping since. Uh... Since the age of uh, 28, I started salt water. Oh, that's kind of, kind of a late start there, right? Sorry? That's sort of a late start for reef keeping. Uh, well, it wasn't at the time because reef keeping was not... Uh, it was a, uh, uh, I'm 76 years of age now, so we're talking about the span yeah. of time. And it was not a, a, a very popular uh, pastime. And in fact, when I first started, uh, the first invert tanks and most corals were not, you couldn't keep them, especially the, the well, the SPS definitely not, and uh, LPS some. But uh, we didn't even have a calcium test. 
in those days. So I've seen a lot of changes, uh, and I've been at the forefront of a lot of those uh, myself, and uh, it, it was indeed a, a, a long learning period. Uh, and as I remember Julian Sprung, when I first met him, he wrote a, a marvellous with the, uh, his partner. Uh, his book uh, was the first one that was really, really, really informative. And you can see a lot of the hobby developed from that book. And there were a lot of changes coming in those, in those days. So, did you have any mentors when you uh, to started to keep uh, reef tanks? You mentioned uh, Julian's book and, and what have you in, in terms of, you know, picking up some, some um, valuable information from that book. You know, obviously people don't read uh, books today like they used to, but did you have any, uh, anybody that you just kind of, you know, looked up to in terms of their reef keeping skills and tried to uh, kind of emulate? Um, there was a, a magnificent aquarium with the first calcium reactor on it in Dusseldorf. Um, I think the man was called Hemminghouse, the, the curator, and he was the first person where I saw corals really, really flourish, SPS corals flourish in the system. Uh, there was also uh, uh, quite a few people, and uh, one of them was in Berlin, uh, who started to grow corals. And we were using hydroxide, calcium hydroxide, Kalswasser, in those days to add lime water to the uh, salt uh, mixture when we did added evaporated water. Um, I think the real changes uh, came gradually and step by step. And most of those changes uh, were... Uh, watched by Nielsen and Fossa, uh, Julian Sprung, Delbeck, uh, those people, that I sought them out particularly because they were truly knowledgeable in their time. They were right at the forefront of, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to meet them and get to know them, a lot of them, and learnt a lot. Uh, we, we had some arguments from time to time about uh, about, uh, I, I remember particularly when I used the first calcium reactor and everybody said that all I'd have was an algae bath uh, for the fish because all the CO2 going in, but that never was the case. Uh, I was very early to use a calcium reactor. In a, it was the answer to a lot of problems at the time. Uh, phosphate, I was the fourth person to use um, a phosphate room of uh, 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 like Rarefoss, yep. first person to, fourth person to use such a um, uh, hydroxide, uh, uh, what is it called, uh, ferric oxide uh, uh, material. Uh, it was revolutionary in its time. If you picked up a magazine when I first started, nine out of ten question would be, how do you stop algae? How do you stop this algae? How do you stop that algae? Uh, it was very, 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 very difficult. I think uh, nine out of ten questions these days is how do you stop algae? You know, it just seems like that's a. Uh... Well, I, I can assure you, I can assure you, I don't think it's as anything like like it used to be. <laughs> I mean, there was there was no proper cure for it. You used to put the aluminium oxides in, 
Uh, they used to close down all the soft corals because mostly always he had soft corals for days. Um, no, I, I think the amount of questions that that anybody asks on of today on um, on phosphates is pretty well, uh, or shall I say, algae is pretty well uh, sorted out. We do we do have a, a lot less problems with algae than we had. That's for sure. The Barxis is of one particular one that people find difficult. But up most of the others, I think, now are uh, so, common. So I was going to um, I was going to kind of get into this discussion with you later on, but since you you mentioned it, uh, Bryopsis, um, you know, if if you've ever had that in your tank, how have you been? Uh, you know, how have you attacked that problem? Uh, well, I've had uh, I have I have had Bryopsis. Uh, there was very simple ways to attack it. You've got a small tank to take the rock out and start again. And, uh, I think I use sea urchins most of the time. To, 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 uh, I think sea urchins are, are first class at clearing uh, most of the algae, scrape it right down. Um, there isn't a lot of fish that eat biopsis right. or, or, or invertebrates that do it. So, it, well, I've never had it in plate proportions ever. I mean, the other one is cyanobacteria, which was a problem early on. But that also, I've seen tanks cyanobacteria for two or three years in, in in the early days of keeping saltwater tank. They could never get rid of it. So, but today, what, what's your advice for somebody battling cyano right now? What's the best way to, to get rid of it? Well, as you can put a a pill in there, antibiotic. That's one way. That that's the best, the quickest way. If or the other way is to make sure your conditions are better. Because I, I for me, um, bacteria, it does come in my tank from time to time, but it's never plague proportions. And as soon as I alter what I run a calcium reactor and a uh, a nitrate reactor, and the nitrate reactor could consumes vodka and also keeps the um, the uh, the nitrate down but not the phosphates because it doesn't do it nitrate reactors do so uh, so, so, so uh, David we, we already have a few questions in the chat I'll um, I'll ask one question and then I think we're gonna save a couple of the other ones uh, for later on and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna um, We'll show that video just to give people, um, you know, a look at the tank that don't re recall seeing it before, and then we'll go through the uh, the slideshow. But one one question is um, from Macy's daddy: Does David do group or private tours of his tank? <laughs> I have had hundreds of requests for people to see my tank, and I always try to I always try and grab them. It's been a principle of mine. I've, I've been lucky enough to have the capital and the uh, uh, opportunity to have started with a small goldfish when I was eight and managed to build up uh, several reef tanks one after another, getting bigger and bigger. And I cannot tell you the amount of enjoyment I've had from that. And if I can pass that enjoyment to anyone, it always gives me the greatest pleasure. That's great. All right, so David, let's. Um, I'm going to start 
playing the video of your tank, and this is actually a video clips from the tour that George from Coral Fish 12D did uh, back, I believe, it was in 2019, and and you'll you'll see it come up in your feed probably in another 10 or 15 seconds. But it's just um, showing some highlights in terms of the corals and the fish. You've got a lot of you've got a lot of fish in that tank. I don't know if you could see it coming up yet or not. Yeah, it's tough. Yep. So um, talk to us about the animals in the tank right now. I know when we, before the live stream, you said a lot of the corals have been uh, cut back, but can you just kind of talk to us about what you have in there in terms of the uh, the corals and the, uh, the fish? Well, I think I, I, this is an impossible guess, but I think there's something like 400 odd fish wow. in the tank. Um, the reason that we can have so many fish in the tank, and by the way, I think it's important to have a lot of fish in the corals if you can maintain the water quality. Um, the reason there's so many fish in that tank uh, is because uh, I, on a reef you get a lot of fish, and I think it keeps the corals, it, it feeds them. Now this, this video that I'm just looking at now, uh, that leather coral is still in the tank. It's, been cut in half twice. The whip is still in the same place. The, the uh, most of the corals are in a similar position. Not all. There's a lot I changed uh, and had to cut away. I mean, all the hysterex is virtually gone except for one large piece. Uh, and, uh, and we're now looking at my sump room. The sump room is especially uh, I specially built that. The water travels at approximately 20,000 litres, that's because my sump room is uh, in yards about 30 30 to 40 yards away from my fish tank. The sump room is a very similar height to the fish tank and therefore all water must come and go and return at at, uh, equal pace. And if one, one pump pushes it too fast, it's got to slow down while the other one catches up, and that's done all electronically. It, it's amazing, and we'll um, we'll get into some more of the uh, specifics, I guess, in terms of the uh, the actual equipment and, and the setup in the uh, in the slide presentation. But um, what are, what are you currently uh, running your uh, nitrates and phosphates at with that tank with so many fish? The nitrate uh, is of zero point zero five, maybe a drop a little bit lower. Yeah. Between three and five, O three and O five, PO four, and the um, uh, and I've had it lower, but I think it's better when it's a little bit higher. Um, I used to keep it around O two. That's a phosphate uh, you're talking about. Yeah, uh, the the uh, phosphate. Yes, the nitrate is no, the nitrate zero point zero two nitrate. Oh wow, so that's pretty low for nitrates. I mean, that's pretty. That's closer yeah. to natural seawater. I, I run it slightly higher now, three to five. I mean, I had to do a test last week and it was there. The phosphates, zero point zero three to six uh, at the moment. As we speak, I just had a test. Uh, it's um, it's around four at the moment as we speak. I have four fluidized reactors, and they all take a turn to remove them. 
I'm a great believer in that. I think a lot of people don't realise that there's an awful lot of life, life left in phosphate remover, but it, it's not powerful enough to remove and fast enough as the water goes by enough phosphate for it not to be rising in the tank. So the system that I use is four reactors in four different places, and I change one most weeks according to the readings and put uh, a new lead to it and then that gets changed again four weeks later so it goes around in a circle using the phosphate river as the best possible way to keep things balanced so you're pretty much using nitrate reactors and phosphate reactors to keep nutrients in check what um yes what um so you mentioned before that you know, you believe having a lot of fish is a good thing because that's what you see in, in nature. And, and um, I think, um, you know, I've, I've often heard people say that they believe fish poop is a really good food for corals. Uh, yeah, I believe. Do you believe that? I've, do you um, do you add any other supplements, any coral foods, um, or do you just feed your fish and let them do their thing? I feed all the fish five times a day. I put live shrimp in of one of the feeds that's river shrimp we have that at, you can get that in the uk quite easily there's a lot of it available uh and then there's frozen food four big ice cubes which i put in and cut shrimps um you have to feed five times a day i've got anthers in there that absolutely require constant feeding yeah there's no choice yep. Uh, there's a lot of phosphate going in. It's a lot of phosphate that's got to come out. Uh, as far as uh, other, I do I do a water change irregularly now. I used to do it regularly, large ones. I haven't done large water changes for some considerable time now. Maybe I maybe I haven't done a large water change now. Maybe for three years. I can't. I do maximum of a thousand liters on twelve thousand, so it's under ten percent. Right, gotcha. So you don't um, you don't dose any amino acids or anything? No. no. Uh, I've got all the amino acids in the food. I mix brine shrimp, mice shrimp, krill, Pacific krill, um, uh, lobster eggs, uh, rotifers. I mix it all in a big soup and freeze it into cubes, big cubes, and then I. I have them and put them in five times a day, as I told you. So Flippers Reef has an interesting question. And when I had Mike Paletta on, who's uh, you, you and Mike know each other pretty well, right, in terms of your uh, reef um, acquaintance there. Mike talked a lot about um, bacteria dosing. You know, he, he doses bacteria to his, uh, his tank. And Flippers Reef is asking that uh, question. Has David dosed bacteria as a maintenance for his system? Do you uh, dose bacteria, David? Well, I dose uh, my nitrate reactor is dosing carbon source. So, yes, whenever I make mix up new water, I always put the bacteria in it. Uh, but the carbon source that I'm putting into my tank is enormous from the nitrate filter, where I'm putting in... Um, I'm, I'm, my nitrate filter is coming out with zero nitrate at a rate of uh, 14, 14 days it will fill the system. Wow. Yeah, so you can see that's running pretty fast. I'll tell you, it's running at uh, a litre every one minute 
uh, and five seconds coming out of the nitrate reactor. Wow. So that, that, that gives you an idea of uh, the speed. There's a, lot, there's a lot of volume going through there. Yeah, and therefore there's a lot of carbon source. And the carbon source is feeding the bacteria. People say the bacteria uh, become um, single bacteria in the sense that species die and some bacteria continue. Uh, I do, do put bacteria in, but some people put a lot. I put a lot less in uh, on, on the tank than, uh, than, uh, than I used to. I used to do a lot of ba more bacteria, but I don't think I don't think uh, I have bacteria or carbon in my tank. Quite the opposite. Have you had any uh, episodes over the years with uh, RTN or STN and Aquapora? Yes, always. And it's it, it's uh, unexplainable. It's, I mean, I've. A lot of people are using cage controllers. They're telling me, I, I am, every time I put phosphate remover on, I put, uh, I, I put zero, uh, zero, uh, 0 0.03 of, of a cage buffer in, yeah, yep. in, in, in time to maintain stability on cage because phosphate remover brings down the cage. And I run my DKH at, uh, Around uh, 7 7.3, 7.5, 7 7.7, .7, about there, not more. Now, I haven't used a, uh, a, a, a cage controller yet. I'm in the process of developing one uh, for my tank. I'm, I'm going to watch it with great interest. My problem is that where do I dose it? Do I dose it on my sump room? Uh, and control it, or do, do, do I control it on the water when the water comes into the sump room, which would be the tank as well as the sump? It's not easy on my on my system to uh, to, 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 to do. That. You know, it, it, there's a lot of water swirling around everywhere, but it needs all mixing. Yeah, no, and um, I think this is a good point to kind of jump into your um, your presentation. And like I mentioned in the beginning, we're not going to go. This is not going to be like a formal presentation. It's going to be a um, you know kind of a uh, an informal presentation. And and we'll um, we do we're, we are dealing folks with about a twenty to twenty five second lag because David is uh, seeing the slides on YouTube and and he and I are talking live. So there there is going to be a lag. But uh, David, so. What, what, what everybody's looking at right now is the, um, you know, the slide in terms of the aquarium. And um, let me uh, skip back here. So it's uh, one of the uh, pages here. It says it's a system of two halves. You want to, and and the first half is the uh, the aquarium, which is the three thousand gallon that we talked about. So I'm I'm forwarding to the first um, picture actually of the um, of the tank on the stand with the um, plumbing underneath the stand and the um, the plumbing inside the tank. And obviously you have um, plumbed it where you've got circulation that's being pumped into the bottom of the tank as well as the top. Yes. Um, I must correct you one thing. The tank is not 3,000 uh, gallons. The, uh, the the whole system's 3,000 gallons. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, the tank is about two-fifths of the the total of water not in but well we've got a picture here of my tank it uh, it's it it 
It's got closed loop systems, and I'll explain why I use those. Uh, all pumps are, are removable out without going, they're not in water, they're all removable, and I can take one out and put a new one in if anything breaks down. The, uh, the closed loop system is coming, pushing water at the bottom up, so the circulation goes up and over the weir, uh, and the, the, the closed loops are all on wave motion, mm. and so is the water coming up from the sump below. The sump below is used as a holding area to bring water backwards and forwards from the sump room, uh, where the, there is a, lots of other um, water being processed and cleaned. So you can see the hanging lights, there's 20, 20, 28, 29 lights on the, on the um, uh, LEDs. There's been a massive change to the lighting systems in the last five years. I'm a great believer in LEDs. I think especially the deep water corals, they much prefer LEDs. We got a question from uh, Macy's daddy just asking, how long did it take um, you to design this tank, David? How many years was this in the making? Uh, well, it's a bit, that's a good question. I had a tank here before in the same place. Uh, it, there was some failure in it in 14 years, but this is a combination of all the tanks I built over my life with all the improvements that I've had to make over the years by learning what problems are. In this tank, you can see that there is a lot of pipe work. I have not got any problem with my closed loops, and there is huge water in this tank still, despite all the growth. It's, it's really incredible. Um, what, what are you using for lights right now? Uh, I use the AI um, six, six, uh, 52s. I'm going to change to 64s as soon as they go Wi-Fi because I prefer the Wi-Fi. Uh, and then it means I can control them anywhere on the computer, wherever I am, or anybody else can. Um, uh, the other, the, um, there are 26s as well. The mm. water depth is nearly four foot. Uh, I'm doing feet for you because you understand feet. Yeah. <laughs> there are uh, S S SPS is growing from the bottom of the tank with no So um, I always avoid closed loop systems because I'm afraid of a bulkhead leaking in the bottom of the tank and that causing uh, issues. So uh, this can't happen here. It cannot the happen. Bulkheads going through the bottom of a tank here. I'm I will sorry. never. I will never allow. Uh, about heads go through the bottom of the tank. So that's why we're seeing the the, uh, the piping being snaked over the side? No, it goes right up the top and back down again. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, and gotcha. and gotcha. Goes straight to the pump. And further on, if you if you look at some of these pictures going backwards, you'll see the whole build-up of how it, how it works. I, I am completely opposed to anybody drilling a hole in the bottom of the tank. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. I think you're asking. It's, yeah, you're asking for trouble, right? It's only a question of time before a ball valve gives a problem, especially if, like, I've got 15 outlets there. If uh, if if, uh, if I had a, a drilled holes for each of those, I'd be in real trouble. 
<laughs> well, I think another thing that this uh, says is that flow is just so important for a reef tank, and, and you've got it uh, covered there with the uh, closed loop system. And that's an interesting idea. I never I never um, have seen a tank where you run the closed loops over the side of the uh, the back of the tank, and that's that is a great way to do it. Now, are we able to go to other pictures here? Yeah. What do you want to look at? I'd like to try and see the tank bear. Uh, I don't know where and how we can do it, where we can go. Have you? Can you flick through some pictures quickly and I'll tell you when to stop? I'm going through the sump room right now. Um, okay. I've got the... Um, I'm looking at the sump with the um, with the plumbing underneath the sump in the in the well underneath the stand. I'm sorry, it's in the stand. Yeah, that's correct. Well, let's let's bring those pictures up. Okay. So yes, let me see if we um, quick tank build from the hallway. That's all the sump room. Right. Stop there. Where am I stopping? What slide? Where we now? Perfect. That's the beginning of the frame in the in the um, for the fish tank. As you can see, the sump underneath is there. Now the tank is there, and the closed loops are clearly visible, and also the sump below is clearly visible. Gotcha. I'm, I'm on page fifteen. Yeah. Okay. I think it's fifteen. No, I can't. It's a bit small. Okay. Let's keep going. Keep going. This is the finished uh, tank. But okay, so now I'm on slide 17, and you'll see that coming up. Yeah, well, you can stop there. Okay. Can you stop? Yep, I'm, yep, I'm stopping. You can see the five pumps that run the closed... Oh, it's gone. Why does it keep carrying on? Can you not stop it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is... Uh, I apologize to the folks out there. I'm... Um, I'm kind of cruising back and forth to this thing. I'm, 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 I've stopped on page 17. Yeah, but I, can you go back where, where you were just then from the other side? Let's go back. You want me to go back a couple of slides? Well, I don't know whether it's back or forward, but uh, it's, I want to go to, to the bearish tank, the bearish frame, which you just had. Okay, back. yeah, there we go. I might be too slow for you. <laughs> so, yeah, now we've got no tank on top of the... Um, the steel stand. I'm yeah, that. that's what. I'm okay. It hasn't come up here yet. Yep. But I could see all the uh, the pumps underneath for the closed. Yes, that's all. Yep. Where is it? It's not on my video yet. Just amazing in uh, terms of all the pipe works. Here we are. Now here you can see all the flexible pipe work going underneath the tank coming from the five pumps on the opposite side. We have a view of that side. Um, there's a roller filter, which uh, which is a, uh, a, all the water from the tank goes through that. I've got two of those. All the water that goes out to the sump room goes through that first, taking out as much detritus as possible. Right. Let's, so underneath you can see the pipes going round and then they will go up. As on the, let's go to the next picture now. Okay, so now we've got the uh, the tank on top of the uh, the stand. Is that the pipe works inside the tank? That's what I'm looking at. You must have a really good plumber, or you do do you do, you do all the plumbing work yourself? No, I I I know two or three people that plumb work. Do the plumb, plumbing. 
but uh, we, we did all we did all sketches where they had to put everything. So well, yeah, it was quite easy. Well, I'll tell you, it took me about uh, a week to plumb my new 225 gallon peninsula tank, and I can imagine how long it took to do this. Well, they're probably a lot better plumbers than me. So it's installed this whole tank in three weeks. Wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Built it as well as it's, uh, and we used um, a hurricane silicon on it to make sure that it, uh, it 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 was safe. It was actually you could put water in it after two hours. Wow! But uh, you know that's not a practice we did, but that's what can be done with it. Yep. So do you see the uh, the picture with the tank on on top of the? Uh... Yes, I see the picture of the top. You can see the closed loops coming up the back where the skimmer is below, and we, you'll see from the other side. You can see the pumps that send water to the coolers and also return water to the aquarium. There are three big pumps returning water to the aquarium. Those three pumps are on wave as well hmm. uh, to cause maximum water flow and disturbance. Can we move on a little yeah. bit more? Yep. I've got, uh, so I'm looking at the slide with the, uh, now the lights on top of that. We'll move, uh, we'll keep moving forward. I see, I'm going to move past the, uh, the slide with the final cabinetry. And now, um, what I'm looking at here, which will come up to you in a second is the, uh, the, the quick tank build from the hallway. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm on, I'm on slide 24 when, when it comes up on, uh, on your side. So, here we go. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all closed loops at the back, you can see. Now you can see the tank in a finished version there. And now we're going to the hallway. Yep. On the other side of the tank. Yep. Because it's an L shaped tank, it acts as a wall. So on the other side of the tank, there you can see all the pumps below. You can get them all in and out with ease. Every pump can be taken and out. There's one of the phosphate reactors I talked about. The cows, the skimmers behind uh, there in, the, in, in, in a sump that belongs to the sump system. There's a, a roller filter up there, which is, uh, runs 24-7. And the phosphate reactor goes into that roller filter yeah. as well to stop any sediment from the phosphate. Okay. So, yeah. Move on. So, yeah, move on. Okay. So now we've got um, some additional plumbing going in there. I'll just keep uh, scrolling through here. So now there's um, the other part of the tank on top of that part of the stand. Yeah. Well, I haven't. I haven't got that. Yeah. Coming. Yep. It's worse than being on the moon, I think. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it took as long yeah. to get picked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you could see the um, the L-shaped part of the tank on this part of the stand. Uh, here we go, yes. Now, that's a cupboard, which you don't realize yet, on the left-hand side, which is hidden in the decoration of the house. Uh, and it all slides out so that the reactor's on, on wheels and comes out. Um, you can see all the closed loops very easily now, the way they go up and down, and they go round underneath the tank to the to the pumps. Yep. They're on the shelf. Okay. So I'm uh, I'm just forwarding through, and I can see the uh, the lights hanging over the tank, and then the final uh, cabinetry on that part of the tank. And now um, there's 
Also, um, what you'll see coming up is closing the cupboard. So that it looks like a trap door is really what it looks like. Let me, let me take a look and I'll tell you. It's a door that opens. It's, a, it's part of the decoration of the house. You, you wouldn't know it was there. You can get into the, the skimmer and to the workforce reactor. I don't have any calcium at it. Uh, it's built in a manner that I can run the tank on its own. Well, you can see that there is a corner door, which is, if you, if you see, you can see it open next to the tank with all the controls. Yep. And the, in, yeah. and the important thing is that tank can now run without the sump wheel running for a day without, without problems. Yeah. But it, it, you need both systems to work because of all the calcium, everything gets added in the sump wheel. Calcium acts a nitrate filter. Uh, skimming is also out there, like two skimmers out there, one in here, and so it goes on. Carry on. Yep, and I'm, I'm just, I'm forwarding through the uh, the slides, so hopefully we can um, both be in sync, but now we're looking from the, uh, from above. So the tank from uh, from above, and I can see the um, the frame of the uh, the stand from above. Yes, well now you can see, you can see the layout of it very clearly. There's no uh, sumps wow. underneath. There's no no tank in there yet on top, and there's a, a sump also where the skimmer sits, which you could see. Yep. So let's on with the next one. Yep. Yep. Pretty unbelievable. So yeah, um, what you'll see coming up is, um, folks, the uh, the layout from the top in terms of the plumbing and the closed loop. Just amazing. The detail that went into this, David, is just mind-boggling. There, there are the closed loops. Yep. Um, yeah, you can see them now going to the pumps and back. By the way, there's another important thing. I wanted this tank to have a thin glass frame. And one of the problems with that is that all the corners had glass uh, strips from top to bottom, and the doors were all in glass. The reason I wanted them in glass, can we stop and go back to that picture? It's just gone forward again. If we can stop it a minute, because I want to explain something there. Yep. yep. You want me to go on to the uh, picture? Yep. Go, go back to that last picture. The one that we've got a new picture just come up. I want to go back to the other one with the, with the close loop, with yep. the loops. Yep. Yeah. I got there. I'm there. You should see it in a few seconds. What um, are you using? Uh, one inch and one and one half inch um, PVC pipe. Sorry, are you using? Yeah, the, yeah, we're using um, uh, fifty mil pipes, forty mil, uh, and fifty mil pipes. Okay. Su suction for the water, fifty mil. In other words, the the suction side, pressure side, which goes to closed loops, is forty mil. Okay. Yeah. Got but it. what is important here is something very different to what you're used to. You've got a, a, you can see there's a, a, a glass stress bar going round the tank. And then where the funny angles are, there's a stainless steel plate. Oh. And that plate and all the rest of it, it's only got wires. You can see the wires, they're white on the top. And they are glued, the blocks are glued with a pin into the stress bars. Huh. Now there are no crossing stress bars, only wires. The reason for that is that it's much easier, no light disturbance, no dirty 
pieces of glass across the top. So again, that's a very unusual construction. Yeah, I've never seen that. So it looks to me like you've got um, you've got euro bracing, but you're using um, these plates. It's not a euro brace. It's not a euro brace. It's standard cross. They, I'll tell you what those stress bars are made of: two twelve mil, uh, one on top of each, laminated together. Uh, 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 normal glass, not not toughened. The tank was toughened glass of two twelve mils. So it's 20, 25 mil thick, one inch for you, one inch thick for glass, right. two, half inch, two half inch glasses laminated together. But it's not the Euro braces when it comes out of one solid piece of glass. Right. And they machine it. But these are crossing over each other and stuff. Now, the interesting thing about what happened there is that. The blocks are stained steel, and they should be, and so should the pins be. But one of the pins was mild steel, and it should have been stained steel. I didn't realize it because it's a small pin, and it rusted and gave way. Ooh. And the stress bar only broke because the pin only goes in half the stress bar. So the top stress bar shattered because it's it, it, it cracked there. And I managed to put a new stress bar in without any danger to the tank at wow, all. Wow, that must have been nerve-wracking. Well, it was. Uh, it, let me put it another way to you. It, it, when I when I saw it, I was very worried about it, but we we did it within a day. Put it right. So yeah, I and I praised myself for having double stress bars glued to each other. <laughs> so uh, which I never I never saw as an accident. Uh, a, a remover, but uh, because I couldn't get glass 25 mil on the stress bar, I didn't think it was appropriate. It that was, that uh, might have been a sleepless night for you there, right? In terms of when you notice that problem pop up. I, I think the most the most sleepless night I had uh, is when a bristle worm drilled a hole right through uh, and uh, the, the silicon. Yeah. Absolutely, through. Saw it. You could see it. And luckily, it was somewhere I could get to. It wasn't on the back of the wall. It was right in the front. And that water was pouring out that hole. And I thought, my God, what can I do about that? Because it was behind the panel. Oh boy. But we got the panel off, and we put some uh, silicon back on at that point. But that is one thing that people, it couldn't have done it anywhere else, funny enough, because of my glass corners I put on. It could never have made those holes uh, even if it drilled a hole elsewhere it wasn't anywhere that was one of the only protect non-protected areas where it drilled a hole through so it shows how careful you've got to be when you have a tank so um i, I just want to make uh, sure people understand so this aquarium is in a flat or an apartment as we would say here in the uh, in the u.s and um can i assume that the uh, the tank is on the first floor of the flat no not. You assume it's on ground level it's ground, ground floor, floor. Okay, garden. right, ground floor. Garden as well. It's like a house more than a flat. It's four houses, vertical houses, converted across. A uh, very old building, and they're converted across. So it's uh, about 3,400 square feet. So it's a large flat with a terrace and a garden, huge garden outside. And it's on ground floor. So there's that. it is can't. This cannot go through the floor to somebody else's home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. So uh, I'm assuming the tank was uh, built inside of the uh, the flat. Yes, it yeah. was. You had to. It was, uh, it was built. Uh, uh, I had a 
special contractor to glue it. I had uh, uh, a special contractor to do the glass for me because it was all toughened. Most of the glass is toughened, and I much prefer that's much safer. And I had um, an engineer overlook the whole thing to make sure it's right. Uh, and, you know, touch wood, so far, it seems to have held up very, very well. So Jose Estevez is uh, asking, uh, he, he couldn't believe what you were talking about before. He said, um, comment, is Bristleworm drilled a hole in the silicon? Question mark? Yes. That, that's quite that. that is absolutely, well, we, uh, having had tanks for a long time, it's, it, I've seen it not once or twice, but I've seen it many times over the years, where somebody suddenly has a leaking tank, and it's a bristle worm that's gone through wow. the silicon on the side or the base. And we used to, I used to be work with Deltec, they used to make tanks, and they offer uh, bristle worm protection as an extra if you're going to have a reef tank. And that had strips of glass over all the silicon to stop any bristle worm being able to get to the, to the silicon. Well, I tell you, um, I always say that you kind of, um, you know, you learn something new every day with this hobby. I had no idea that uh, a bristle worm can actually potentially bore through the uh, the silicone in a, uh, in a glass tank. And I've always thought bristle worms are pretty harmless, so I didn't really care about having them in my tanks. I can show. I, I have somewhere a picture of it. You can see it on, through the glass. You can see the bristle worm itself going boring where the hole is so i will try and dig it up but it's definitely definitely a fact they can <laughs> um all right so let's um another reason why not to buy live rock but even when you don't buy live rock at the time when you buy coral frags you sometimes bring them in on those without realizing and once you've got one, you'll have thousands. Well, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about that. You and I were talking about this before the show in terms of starting a tank with dry rock versus live rock. And I've I've had um, not the greatest experience. My one time, I've been keeping reef tanks for twenty five plus years, and uh, I've always started my tanks with live rock. And for the first time five years ago, I started a tank with dry rock, and I just uh, I had one problem after another. And I know Mike Paletta has uh, has a similar experience with, with dry rock, and he vowed, uh, I guess he vows never to start another um, tank with, with dry rock. What, um, so you're, one of, one of the things that you uh, believe in is that the, the, the bad thing with live rock is the pests that could come in with the live rock. Uh, with a tank my size, it's massive. Right. I always rock specially. I have it flown over. I actually did a drawing of all the rock work before we, and had the rocks cut to the, design that we wanted. Um, uh, I, I, I think that, I, I, I mean, I could show you, uh, I can't do it now, but I might send you a picture of the tank when it was first filled with water, and I'll show you the algaes that were, it, it was unbelievable. There must have been, there must be half the tank with strings of algae growing up. And within seven weeks, they're all died and gone by producing the phosphate levels. So, when you start a tank with with dry rock, how do you how do you get that whole cycle going? How do you how do you seed the tank with bacteria and all that that stuff? Well, you put the bacteria in, uh, and you 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 know you that's what you do. You wait for it. I mean, when I first started, you had to put a lump of meat in to get the tank going. So. Uh, 
you know, those days are over, they know more about it. But once you put the bacteria in, you should be able to move on straight away. Uh, the rocks that uh, that we use, uh, we sell rock and live rock, uh, dead rock from the company, uh, are sub semi-porous and they're uh, calcified. They're very good. They come they come in boxes and they're very good. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, and you can, as long as you treat them, as long as you, I mean, the most important thing when you start a system is you've got to let it mature. You must give it, let it cycle. And once you let it cycle, you're fine. And it will cycle. And then if you introduce everything in a reasonable pace, and don't be stupid, uh, I, I, I've had so much bad experience with live rock in terms of predators, bristle worms, uh, bobbit worm, I don't know what you call it in the States, so we, that's our nickname for it. Um, Perhaps somebody'd like to tell you what, what they're called. Maybe they know in America. They're, they are terrible things. About three meters long. I've, I've got a picture of somebody holding one. Um, awful looking thing. Um, I, I, I find that, uh, that I had uh, two more eels, and they were alive when I got them. So uh, they, they were in the tank. I had to get them out. I, I've, um, I, I had. Umpteen, um, uh, uh, what you call it? Uh, uh, what do you call those? Uh, Aptasia. Yeah, no, not Aptasia. The ones, uh, the the the, um, the mantis shrimps. Oh, mantis oh, shrimp, yeah. Hundreds of mantis shrimps uh, in my day. I had to put an octopus in to get rid of yeah. mantis shrimps. <laughs> And then we had to catch the octopus, and that's another story all of its own. Uh, they, they spent weeks trying to catch this octopus. But they're pretty smart from what I understand. They're pretty smart from what I understand. Very clever. I used to feed him on chicken. He was a wonderful animal. Wonderful, wonderful animal. Uh, and pretty good with the fish. I think he only caught one. Oh. But if you feed him enough, he won't try and catch it. But he does pick up things and build his own structures and, uh, of course, and he gets very bad tempered if he doesn't get fed when he thinks he should be. So, David, how how long did it take for that tank to cycle, and how soon after the uh, cycle did you put cooking rolls in that tank? That one had live rock, and the second time I refilled it, took it down. Uh, it, it recycled in about uh, fourteen days. And how soon after that did you start putting corals in the tank? Very short. As soon as that fourteen days was over. And do you think that's uh, something you would recommend to, to folks? I've heard a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think the quicker you get the corals in, and, you know, I think they, they stabilize the water. They're, they're, they're important. And I, I haven't got a, a uh, I've got a small amount of algae growing outside. I would like enough to put an algae bed. I'm a great believer in, in an algae bed. Uh, so, um, all right, we've uh, we diverted a little bit from the uh, from the presentation. I'm going to um, I'm going to bring the presentation back up. Which you should see in about uh, fifteen seconds. You want to talk about the? Um, let's talk about the sump room. Yeah. Okay. So um, you'll 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 get it um, up in a few seconds there. So I've got um, looking at a picture right here of a. Uh, it looks to be like a, a rack of some sort. That's, that's not the sump room. That's my living room. Uh, you wouldn't know that. There's a couple of doors into the main, into the study part of it. Uh, that's my tank in the house. So at the moment, I don't know, but it may be some room. We're on a some room. Now. Yes. Good. Yeah. 
Right. Well, basically, it's a cellar underneath the road. Or two cellars underneath the road, to be honest with you. Um, they, they, were, they were vaults uh, built for storage uh, of uh, wines and other things. I so think. this is actually underneath the road? Underneath the road, yes, outside the building. <laughs> yep. Wow. So you know, the house is about 18-something, I think, and they built those there. So here you can see the layout of the sump room. Uh, you've got a view through the walls as if they weren't there. Uh, you see the water comes into the little blue box. Or, but there, the, actually, now you've got the machine. The water comes in to that machine, that roller filter, uh -huh. and all of it coming from outside, uh, from inside to outside, will go through that roller filter uh, constantly, all the time. And then that will deposit the water in the vats there, and you'll see... They're 1,000 litre vats, so there's one, two, three, uh, one, two, three, four, which you can't see where the UVs are behind, uh, and then a glass tank with, uh, with the frags or what have you in it, and then another glass trough all the way down with a skimmer, and uh, RO units there, uh, and resins, and, well, that's a very, uh, the nitrate filter standing there, you can see it at the end. And the water comes in and goes around that system and then gets pumped back to the house. And the two pumps that bring it, or one of them that bring it back to the house, you can see sitting there on the outside, which you can, again, change it without having to put, go into the water. David, what, what inspired you to set up the system like this? Did, um, did you see something that... Um you wanted to try to mimic in terms of this type of setup or did you kind of um, have something similar at a much smaller scale and wanted to really just um well, the first thing is if you have a wife and she doesn't like water changes in the house <laughs> or most wives don't. so the first thing you have to do is to find a way to change water and especially in the old uh, many years ago the old days i know it's a funny expression it, when we first started this hobby Water changes were the only way to maintain uh, reasonable parameters. I mean, there was no calcium testing, nitrate a little bit, uh, KH, yes, okay, a bit. But basically, you had to do water changes. And to do water changes, you've got to have the water outside the room. And that's the only way it can be done. So what you do is you isolate one of those vats, if not two of them. You can run the whole system in my tank, actually, on the last glass tank. And all the others can be stopped and cleaned and put back into, filled up and put back running. So the, oh, it's gone. The picture's yeah, gone. It's coming it's, back. So, so that's the reason of the sump room. And, of course, there's no room in my house. I, I, I had enough trouble getting a big tank there. Well, it was, that was a debate of, uh, of uh, bartering with my wife. She said she'd like the a bit more a bigger flat and i said i'd like a bigger tank let's see how we can get this agreement with flat came up next door i said i'd buy that as long as she allowed me to have the biggest tank i wanted she said yes i built a tank then she was she fainted about the size of it but flat made up it when the big new room the other half went on the flat it didn't look too big so you know it was a question of compromise as usual uh, i i like i like that some room very much to work in. It's so much easier. Everything you can get to, anything you change, 
it, it's really crucial. how many hours of maintenance do you do on this uh, tank in a week <laughs> well I can tell you very easily that answer that question you ask what I do well I've always did my own maintenance until the last five years and now I employ two people to come in and do the maintenance under my you know control yeah. they have a checklist they have to go through to do which I've ticked um, it's exactly three or four hours with one and five to six with the other. So you're talking about 10, 11 hours a yeah. week yeah. of maintenance. They're not allowed to put their hands in the fish tank, only on the outside everything and glass cleaning and the normal cleaning the skimmers, all the normal things that you, you need to do, yeah. changing the frame. So there's 11 odd hours of maintenance a week on this tank. Dave, you mentioned uh, UV. Do you run that 24-7? Yes. It's eight UVs. And, and, and is that um, – why, 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 why are you running the UV? Is that to, to help prevent uh, some fish disease, even though it can't prevent all fish disease? Is that primarily what it's for? It, it, I put UV on it because it does help keep water reasonably clear, I think. Uh, and the other thing about it is I have I – have, not had once I once my tank is up and running, and I probably maybe with or without UVs, I never have white spot or any form of spot on my on my tanks. And if I bring a fish in and it said it did have it, it never goes through the tank. They they're they're spotless. There's no spots on them at all. They're very very. If any diseases I get are from obesity, not from. Oh, really? uh, you're too, yeah. eating too much food there. Yeah. Um, so we we didn't talk. We we talked a little bit about uh, lighting. You know, in terms of the lights that you're using, do you um do you pay t close attention to the par in your uh, in your tanks in terms of what you're getting near the bottom, near the top, or is that something that you don't monitor that often, or if at all? No, I do. I I I, I haven't done a par check for a long time, but I am very I've done a lot of work on this, and I the, the LED lights can be too powerful. Despite looking less powerful than HQIs that we used to use, in my view, they are they have as much power, if not more, at lower depths, and that is a fact I'm sure of. Now, I love the LEDs because the night. Uh, at night, the tank looks just amazing, to be honest with you, as well as during the day, before we had it just during the day with HQIs. There's very little heat given off. I have a cooler, but it runs very, very, very little. Uh, and uh, I've really come to really grow to like this. You could do your own spectrum, uh, and corals seem to thrive much better. I don't. I don't know whether other people found that same experience. I mean, when we first put them on and I used them, you had to get used to them. They're different behavior than, I think it's, you need better conditions than you did with HQI. You do need to keep the parameters correct more. But the lighting seems to me is so, so much better now than it ever was before. What, um, what kind of spectrum do you run on that tank? <laughs> Um, well, I've just, on our website, if anybody wants to go to TNT, there is a, a chart there showing 
what strength of each of the valves and when. Because I ramped them up for two hours in the morning and ramped them down two hours when they turn, as they go off. And, and mostly turn over to blue with very little white by the, in the last hour of ramping either way. Uh, I have a special lens that I use when I take pictures now, which takes the blue away. Uh, from the from the from the tank, so you can see. What, but during the day, I, I find LEDs are absolutely first class. So you run more uh, more white, uh, you know, more full spectrum during the day, and then you just have blues that uh, ramp up and ramp down. Well, I use blue as well. I I also bring the whites up and down very quickly, uh, varying in peaks to stop any any uh, burning. But, Today you don't get any burning now. They're, they're the early ones were a little bit more tricky. Yeah, with the lenses they were they were became more tricky. But now they're now they're pretty good. David, I'm just scrolling through more of the. Um, you'll see these pictures, and um, we're just scrolling through some more of the uh, the sump uh, room, and uh, just give folks a, a better idea in terms of what they're looking at here. It's just I could see the, uh, the reactors and. Um, Man, that's uh, that's pretty impressive in terms of all the equipment you got going. And there's a lot of moving parts there. Have you? Um, do you have a lot of um, redundancy built into the system in case something fails? Every plug has RC. It's RCD. I, I presume you have the same name for it in America. Do you? It trips if something goes wrong. Every single plug is independently RCD'd in the sump room. So if something goes, that only goes, and I know what it is straight away. I also have emergency stop buttons, so you could see them, for water coming backwards and forwards. The whole water system is controlled uh, on float switches, backwards and forwards, and safety float switches that are minimum and maximum, which if, if we're above the, or below what they should be, it will stop everything. It just doesn't Yeah, I'm work. on the picture right now where we're looking at the float switch operation i see that um the sump room is 25 meters from the tank yeah, yeah. okay and that's the height right and the water travels over the ceilings oh really <laughs> yes right the ceilings and then uh, there are any leaky ceilings continuous pipe no joints no uh no leaky ceilings can't, well, it can't. There's no joints, so there won't be any leaks. Ah, gotcha. That's a smart way to do it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it with joints. Uh, not that I worry if our joints are done properly. It's fine. But it's a flexible pipe. Uh, yeah. uh, here we are. Stop. You can see the different float switches, and all those float switches do do their you know maximum height of the water line and go one way. Minimum height both in the tank and, and uh, outside the sump room. And then when it goes, certainly certain amount of water goes, one pump is running always faster than the other. It has to slow down. If that comes in automatic on another float switch, it slows down. Uh, and then the other one catches up. So, And the only way I can see that it's running uh, outside and inside the sump, I've got red and, red and green lights. And providing those are both on all the time, I know the pumps are running. Are you, go ahead. I, I, I couldn't see it otherwise. I can't tell whether it's running. Do the um, do you have any issues with those float switches failing? 
I have only had two float switches of that type ever fail, but even when they failed, they're not dangerous on my system because we've got, we've got this built-in automatic stopping. So if the water goes too high, it'll stop anyway. Everything will stop, backwards, forwards, everywhere. Stops inside as well as outside. Wow. Well, so it runs very successfully. I mean, it's run for now for years, really successfully. I'm completely um, satisfied. It's 100% safe. So we're looking at the uh, kind of the, the final view here in terms of the uh, the setup with the aquarium on top of the uh, of the stand. You want to just kind of give a final wrap up in terms of the uh, the setup? Yes. Well, here we've got the long side, and. Uh, you can see the pipes coming down. You can see underneath the, 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 the sump underneath the tank. And you can see one, two, three. There are three motors there. One of them is to send the water backwards and forwards to the sump room. One of them is for the cooler, which goes to a, 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 a heat exchanger in, in a courtyard near my garden. Where, where my garden is, there's an area where the, that, the water's pumped around that. And the pump goes down. When, 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 when we're not calling for cooling, the pump will slow down to about 25%. Mm. So, and as soon as it asks for cooling, the pump will speed up to full power. David, do you mind sharing what your utility bill is in a month? Yeah, well, I don't pay for the tank because it's a company asset. Ah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't pay for it in the sense I own the company, so I do pay for it. Because we, you know, it has to be paid for by the company, and I, it would be my money that I would be getting from the. Company. You don't have to answer that so, question. I'm, I'm just, I'm just pulling your leg. I'll answer it. Okay. The electricity use on that tank is about ten to twelve thousand a year on the sump room in the pounds, not oh, dollars. That's not bad. <laughs> no, I, all the equipment is the most modern of its type. Electric, electric saving, the pumps. The skimmers, everything's got very low, low, um, uh, very high efficient, the latest efficiently. Look, LED lights, I used to have uh, HQI lights uh, on the tank. They, they were costly to run. Yeah. I've actually reduced constantly the electricity use. Oh, really? Um, so, David, it's, it's uh, 6, 10 my time, and I guess 11, 10 your time. I want to be respectful of your time. It's uh, it's getting really uh, late over there. I see some, a couple more um, folks making some comments in the chat. Well, uh, do you mind if we just hold on here for a few more minutes? No, it's fine. Absolutely fine. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not tired. I will be afterwards. <laughs> um, do you have a backup generator? I've got a backup generator, but I've never used it. You've never? Uh, when you a generator, it's a small petrol running little thing. Uh, but I would only keep the, uh, we don't have a lot of power cuts in London, so we're very lucky. I would only keep the uh, the the pumps flowing. The backwards forwards wouldn't work, but all the closed loops would work in the, in the, on the tank, and the skimmer would work. Uh, those, that's basically it, you know, the water, it, that's what it would run. It can it can be run like that. Uh, I've done it. Uh, I've tested it, but I've never had to use it. Gotcha. I'm just looking at some of the comments here, and uh, I see Stuart is sending me some pictures. He said uh, he emailed me images of your tank on day one and after two years showing algae on the live rock. 
So hopefully we can get you back on at some point down the road, um, Dave, and we can kind of show some more uh, stuff. I'd love to see a picture of that bristle worm too. That would be, uh, that'd be fantastic. Um, folks, if you want to, uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep uh, up with the chat. If there's any other questions um, for David, I had, um, I had another question for you, David, in terms of testing. Do you, uh, do you, do you uh, do ICP testing? And, and if so, how often do you do every, that? Every week. Every week. Yep. Wow. And and so um, are you more of a, like a reactive type of person in terms of what those tests say? Or do you just kind of like to have the information and, and um, you know, react only when you see something in the extreme? Or do you like to tweak? Right. Well, the first question... I couldn't do all the tests myself, even if I wanted to, because the kits are too difficult. So I have to have it every week, uh, the IPC test. Uh, and the reason I do it is because I can watch what's going on. And I do watch what's going on. And sometimes the dosing pump doesn't seem to deliver enough iodine or the strontium, but the strontium now is pretty straightforward, it's pretty good. Uh, the molybdenum is pretty good. I've got them all running pretty well, but I like to check it, uh, and I like to see it, and I like to keep... Phosphates are very movable. Nitrates are not shown, but phosphates are on the IPC. Um, you know, what else do I have? Magnesium, but very rarely have to put magnesium in the tank. Uh, the... Uh, let's go on what else do i look at uh, heavy metals don't get any of those anymore uh, sometimes the occasional when i've used the tongs in my tank i notice that the that the uh, aluminium has gone up uh, a little bit but not harmfully uh, what else i mean we, uh, there are a lot of elements there and i try to keep all major elements within there within my parameters all the time and sometimes I fail, not for any other reason than uh, something stopped and I didn't realize it. Do, do you um, use any, um, you know, monitors, um, you know, automated monitors like an alkalinity monitor or, um, you know, how, I, I guess you do not. I, I, I spend more time calibrating than anything else. Anyway, I've always believed that if a pilot saw a hill and he was looking at the hill in front of him, and he was told that he was high enough, he wouldn't fly into the hill, he'd just go, he, he, he wouldn't take notice of it, he'd just go up and go over the top of the hill, I hope. And running a fish tank, you need to keep your eye on what's going on. You need to look and see all the time. You're the very good judge when you see a fish tank, how well uh, you're keeping within the rules. So, um... I mean, we keep water. I always tell everybody... What we are is water keepers to start with. Then we add the fish and the corals, but we have to get our water right because without the water, nothing happens. So along those lines, if, if you had to give um, you know advice to somebody and, and, and the advice would be what are the top, you know, if you had to advise somebody the top three things to, you know, that are important for success in, with reef keeping, what would those top three things be? Never stop listening. Absolutely vital to keep looking at what's going on. Never fix your opinion so firmly that it can't be changed, because it's important to change. I mean, we've seen many changes. The other most important thing to do is to check what your water quality is like, and you must be within certain parameters on that if you want success 
with the more difficult things. And I suppose lastly is um, don't try and break rules that cannot be broken. Yeah. Uh, and that's very often I hear people say, well, I've managed to do that. And then people tell me it's difficult. Have the, you know, three or four of the wrong species mixing with each other, for example. And then one day they'll find one of them has died. Yeah. Uh, it's, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared to learn when you're reef keeper because it's, it don't, you don't stop learning. You just told me just now you heard something you hadn't heard before. You whistle worm drilling. You know, those things happen. I've seen them. I've had years at watching things. And even today, I mean, the colours of our corals are great. The, the amount of water movement's great. The controls, the chemical balance, just great. None of those things could be done. Well, when I was 28, 36 now, call me 30 and call me 30. So 30 to 75 is 45 years ago. You, none of those things existed. There were no tests for calcium, no tests. You, know, my, you had a freshwater nitrate test in 02 and 03, and maybe ammonia then. Uh, the KH came in a bit later. Uh, you, know, you just you relied on the salt manufacturer to get any, any balance in your system, and that's what you relied on. And you, when you did your water changes, your tank showed that you were relying on it because the things perked up, and then they went back. Gotcha. Um, all right, I got a, I, I got some final rapid fire questions for you, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Um, this first one's probably not gonna be relevant, but uh, is this your dream tank? Is there another bigger tank that uh, you're, you're thinking about creating, or is this it? Uh, I I really got to be realistic. I'd love to have a bigger tank. I'd love to have another gun, but. <laughs> It's not realistic at my age, unfortunately. I, I, you know, as much as I'd like to do it, it's just not realistic. And therefore, and I'm very happy with what I've got. I, I, I enjoy it. I can sit down and, in an evening and have a, my black coffee and sit and look at the tank for an hour with no, just, just, just fuel, just lovely. Yeah. So having a bigger tank is not on the cards. Gotcha. Fair enough. Um, favorite SPS coral? Well, I like the plating corals. I like um, I, I like the staghorns, but staghorns are are very. All SPSs are really, there's some beautiful SPSs. This question, uh, uh, I I don't have a favourite. I have a favourite looking tank, but not a favourite coral in the tank. They're all very similar. Most people who look at the tank who don't know anything about corals think they're repeating each other. They're very, that's how similar they are. Um, no, I, I, I think there are so many wonderful corals. Uh, I mean, I'd have a tank of zoas, to be honest with you, if I had a second tank. And I don't want a second tank. But if I ever had one, I'd put a small tank in with zoas because I think they're just... Look super. Some of them today are just beautiful. Well, you answered my next question. The favorite LPS coral. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that that's Zoas. Sorry. I was gonna ask you what your favorite LPS coral is. So um, I think you answered that question, and uh, with, with the Zoas answer. Well, I like Trachophilus and Lobophilus and all the okay. others as well. So, but um, 
I, 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 I think some of the, I mean, some of those Zoas in the early days, and even now, you can have varieties that just played your tank. I've got, so, but I've got something that keeps them under control. And don't ask me what it is. Maybe it's that word. Um, next and last question: <laughs> favorite fish. Shoals of blue eyes. Shoal. The uh, abacol. The small. I like shoals in tanks on my size. Yeah, the areas so, are beautiful. I've got some quite a lot of rasses that I very I love. Uh, I really do love them. I'm not allowed to keep angel fish. I've only got uh, uh, two angel fish in there, and they're 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 they're, they're capable of living in a reef tank. There are others that are capable of living in a reef tank, but they can't be with trachophilias or those LPS or whatever. So I, it's a question of priority. Yeah, it's just what well, I love uh, uh, regal angel fish, and um, in my established tank, I couldn't. With you yeah. more, but I can't. Yeah, keep my, my 187 gallon tank, I can't because I, I have LPS that he would just mow down. I've got Zoas and, and what have you, but my new tank, I put a Regal in there because it's going to be an SPS dominant tank. So fingers crossed. Well, you can't keep the Regals I've seen kept in a in a, with, a, with a, a, a LPS, uh, some LPS and SPS, some, but very it's few. It's a risk. Yeah. But, <laughs> It, it, I love them, but you can't. You've got to make a choice. It's um, it's not possible to have everything. Yes, so true. Yes. Give or take. So, uh, David, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Any any final thoughts tonight? Well, I'd like to thank you for uh, helping so much to make this possible to talk about it, and I would say that I've had a very enjoyable evening, and uh, and. I thank everybody who's been listening and I hope they've gained something from it. And if anybody wants to ask me any questions, they can drop me an email to me and I'm very happy to answer it. And if you want my email address, you can find it through the company. Yes. And folks, you could also, um, you know, drop some questions in the, uh, in the chat after the live stream, if you want to, too. And I can, I can forward them on to, uh, to David, if you want to do it that way. But David, thank you again so much for, for taking the time for staying up late really enjoyed this uh this chat with you so i know everybody else on the live stream appreciates it as well so thank you so much so that'll do it for this show i want to really um again thank david for for spending the time i also want to thank marine depot for being the sponsor and like i mentioned at the beginning of the show yes they uh they are still doors are still open for a couple of months they're having a big liquidation sale so take advantage of it because i've done it a couple of times so you can get some really uh great great deals with their uh, liquidation sale but I also want to thank you folks, the viewers out there for tuning in and for being so engaged and asking questions. So my next live stream is going to be on Thursday, July 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Jason Mack, who runs a dino support group on Facebook. <laughs> so, so that should be another great show for all you folks out there that are battling dinos. And I'm, I've been one of those folks and um, should be another great show. So until then, be safe out there and we will see you next time. Thanks, David. Thanks. Take care.